And that one, welcoming CHC's favorite apologist. Very crazy. Um, he's 
even sacrificing on Simon's part. In this way, he followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations, the work of driven from the land ahead of Israelites. And one of the things that he has to add in is he built an altar resembling an altar he's seen in Damascus. And he installed this altar, this false altar, this idolatrous altar in the temple. He removed the true altar that had been uh, built in the way that God described. He removed the temple furnishings, he removed the utensils, and he set up false idolatrous worship in the temple. Ahaz died. He was not mourned. He was not buried in the tombs of his father. Uh, his son Hezekiah was wrong. Hezekiah, in contrast to Ahaz, did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the idolatrous shrines and idols. And it says, Hezekiah trusted the Lord of God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything. So one of the things that Hezekiah did is he cleansed the temple. He removed this idolatrous altar. He purified and brought back the true altar in the utensils. And what he's doing in these verses is Israel is coming back off those uh, sacrifices, Worship to God in the temple. And this is what it says. King Hezekiah put the Levites in the temple of the Lord with symbols, harps, and lyres, as David, Gad, and Nathan commanded. Gad was the king's seer, and Nathan was a prophet. The command came from the Lord through his prophets. So the Levites stood ready with David's instruments of music, and the priests stood ready with their trumpets. Then Hezekiah gave the order to sacrifice the burnt offering on the altar. Offering began. The singing to the Lord also began. The trumpets were blown, the musical instruments of David came to Israel were played. All the people worshipped. The singer sang, the trumpeters blew their trumpets until the burnt offering was finished. When the sacrifices were completed, King Hezekiah and everyone with him bowed down and worshipped. King Hezekiah and his officers ordered the Levites to praise the Lord, using the words David and his ancestor had used. So they praise the Lord with joy and bow down and worship. Alright. So what I want to highlight when we're talking about spontaneous worship is in the corporate setting it involves both structure, planning, organization, designated goals, and spontaneity. So there were people who were designated to sing or play certain instruments to sing certain songs. And yet the people also broke out in spontaneous worship when the sacrifice began. We see that the congregation orders, we also see the people worshiping spontaneous. And that is true also of our corporate worship here. A lot of you may listening to what songs are going to be selected. Who's if you're here if you're ever here an hour before? It's talking about who's going to sing this melody, who's going to sing this harmony. How many times are we going to do the verse? How many times are we going to do the verse? There's a lot of planning that goes into it. There are many times where just like um, Hezekiah ordered the, the Levites to sing this song, there might be, let, let's stand, let's stand together if you're able, let's clap if you're able. There might be direction and structure coming from the worship leader. Yet, there is freedom for spontaneity. 
both within the worship team, there's stuff that happens where we start saying, you know, free worship that we have But that is a freedom to you as well. If you feel the Lord leading you to sing something that's not on the screen, a song in your heart, you are encouraged to do so. If the Lord is leading you to go in the back and dance, you are encouraged to do so. If the Lord is leading you to come to the altar and kneel, the Lord is leading you to sit in reverence. You are welcome to do so. There's spontaneity. There is freedom. We're not following a specific structure. We're not following rigidity. Yet, there are boundaries. There are goals. There is a plan. We come into it with a plan, but we allow an openness for spontaneity. If you want to come in and bring a tambourine, a symbol, uh, a banner, one of those forms that I don't know what they're called, I'm sure that would be welcome. That there is spontaneity in worship. And the goal is that this would overflow into our lives. Our lives. That they were walking. And we just feel that it is spontaneous praise. Whether you're an instrument, or an instrument player, a musician or not. Just spontaneous. I'm going to grab a guitar. I'm going to sit down the piano. I don't play music. I'm going to go on YouTube and sing my heart out while I wash dishes. Like, there is spontaneity in our life. Nobody could see what I was doing. I was not raising hands so that people thought I was holding. 
It was a heart response to the love of God that I felt in that moment. And so here's where I'm going to dip my toes. This is an area that could challenge, but I'm going to challenge both ends of the spectrum, including myself. And it's challenging because external actions in worship is very personal because we all have different temperaments, we come from different cultures. We have different experiences. Maybe we've been manipulated in churches that are more charismatic into bacon. For others, it comes really easy. We might be more exuberant. We might wear our emotions on our sleeve. Uh, acting externally comes naturally. For others, it's very hard. So I want to challenge you all and I want to do so rooted in what Rebecca told us last week, which is that we are wholeheartedly devoted to God. And every person from a pastor and every person in this fellowship, we should regularly check our hearts to see if we're in alignment with God. And so on one hand, if you find yourself having trouble expressing joy, emotion, in worship, I just want you to ask yourself, is that coming from a place of, I don't want to step out of my comfort zone, or I don't want to take a step in this area? Because I know for me, until I really lifted hands in worship, there was definitely an element of, Well, how long have you been married? 
from a failed attempt. And this is why we cannot just say, oh, external signs, that's the, that's the evidence that this person is really following God, is really on fire. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, fires, timbrels, cisterns, and cymbals. If I just write that, you think, hey, this congregation is on fire. Yet, they were not following God. Because he had prescribed that the Levites carry the ark on poles, and they had put it on a cart, and hit them on, it was falling out, someone touched it, God's wrath was burning out against They were not pleasing God in that moment. It's not, oh, I'm going all crazy, that's what pleases God. They were not humble before him, before his word, before his commands. And we all must worship in a posture of humility. Because, this is what David says, Lord, let me speak so I may praise you. You are not pleased by sacrifices, or I would give them. You don't want burnt offerings. The sacrifice God wants is a broken spirit. God will not reject a heart that is broken and sorry for sin. So, that doesn't mean he wants us to come in and be like, beating ourselves up, right? But it's a recognition. God is holy. I have fallen toward his glory. I have not followed his commands as I should. I have not loved others as I should. I have not loved him as he should. Yet his sacrifice is sufficient for me. And out of that flows worship. Out of that flows a humble worship that's not based on me doing things to look holy in the eyes of others, to earn favor with God, but out of a humble response to what Christ has done, a humble response to our identity that's in Christ, not in, oh, that's, that's the person who, like, they all get any in worship. That, that's not my identity. My identity is not, oh, you're the hand raiser, you're the clapper, you're the drummer, whatever. It's that we are justified, forgiven, loved by God, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done for us. And so, um, there's a parable that relates to this that speaks, this speaks to like, those who would be more tempted to like be outgoing in worship, to look the heart. Is Jesus told the parable, it's not about worship, I think it's relevant about prayer. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically there's a Pharisee who means he's really righteous and he does all these things externally, and there's a tax collector who realizes he's not. And the one who's justified is the past record. And so we come to worship realizing that we are not righteous by any external thing we do, but only by the blood of Christ. The next thing is we should be worshipped regularly and often, both corporately and individually. If we think that worshiping once a week, is going to get us through the storms and trials and stresses of life, then we're in trouble. <laughs> because we need corporate worship, we also need daily, regular worship. And I just want to give three ways that we should be led into regular worship. And one is in response to God's specific provision and protection. So this is Psalm 34, a beautiful psalm. Um, we actually have a song that sometimes sing that I wrote that's on this. I'll praise the Lord at all times. His praise is always on my lips. The thing is, this psalm is out of a really weird passage in the Bible. So David 
was running from Saul, and he was in Gath, I believe, in, in the flow of the Philistines. And they found out, oh, this is the David, this is the David who like, kills a lot of Philistines. <laughs> and he's like, oh man, uh, how do I get out of this? So they're like worried about the Davids here. And he's worried that they're going to bring him So what does he do? He asks for the madman. It literally says there's saliva running down his beard. And they're like, get this madman out of here. And so this is how he escapes. It's really weird. But then he writes a song. And I just think it's a picture of how in specific times, in specific moments, God provides for us or gives us protection. And sometimes the circumstances are kind of weird. Sometimes they're normal. But in those times when we see God provide for us, protect us, we should be led to to worship, to worship Him. The next is in response to God's word. So this is from Psalm 119, Paul's book in the Bible, the Bible, how wonderful God's word is. And it is the seven times a day I praise you for your fair loss. And so meditation on God's word should lead us to worship. And finally, in response to the many deeds and characters. So Psalm 145.2 says, I'll praise you every day. I will praise you forever and ever. And the rest of this psalm reflects on what God has done. Not in like Psalm 34 was more response to what God just did, but thinking about what has God done. What has God done in history? All in the people. A, a tiny, tiny people that nobody cared about, Israel, and through that, raising up Messiah, who would die for our sins, that we might have life through in him. I mean, thinking about that should lead us to worship. That mighty act. Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation can mess your words to another. It's how the mighty acts. So we're fighting on the mighty acts of God. What God has done should lead us to worship. But also on his character. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. So this is all in the same song. And this should really be central in our worship together is who is God, right? Not our feelings, our emotions, although that can be that part of our worship in God. It's acknowledging those, it's trusting us. But who is God? What is God like? What has he Okay, the next is all together. Now, all these are things that David instituted. So we see in Israel, we see a people coming together under the leadership of priests and Levites and singers, directors, singing with spontaneity within doctors and structures, with all of their heart in humility before God's word. Regular and often and all together. It's an important thing. Worship, of course, is individual. And we should, as I said, have a spontaneous kind of worship throughout the week. I remember my first year teaching and sharing my last message was it was so hard. But the first semester was so hard. Um the only one of the only things that got me and I was so lonely and no anybody Every Saturday, pretty much, I'd go out to Gunpowder State Park and I would just walk, like, like, 10 miles and just sing, just sing to the Lord. 
to that regular individual worship is so important, but also corporate together worship is so important. And that's what we see again through the leadership of David is instituting corporate worship in the tabernacle. And so David chose some people to be in charge of music in the house of the Lord. They began their work after the ark of arrangement was put there. They served by making music at the holy tent, also called the meeting tent. And they served until Solomon built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They followed the rules for their work. And David, this is also this is when the, the ark was being brought back in the way that God describes. This is the second attempt. God told the leaders from the Levites to point their brothers and singers to play their lyres, harps, and cymbals and sing at the songs. So David created a custom and culture and worship where people were gathering together with specific roles, using their gifts to worship God together. And I think this is important for two reasons, and it applies to us in a couple reasons. We all obviously wear a body, we have different gifts. Some is instrumental. In music, some is, some is just singing with all of your heart and worshiping with all of your heart. And that is, is a role, an important and vital role here. And some is praying. Many people are in prayer during the service. And they appear like they're not worshiping, but they're praying, they're intercessing. And that's important as well. We each have a part when we come here together. And that's what what Paul describes, and he describes the church as a body, with each part having importance. And just because Chris is the front man, it doesn't mean that he's more important than the person who's intercessing in the congregation. The second thing is, is encouragement. This is from Hebrews. We encourage one another through corporate worship. Let us hold tightly without laboring to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us make the ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now on the day of his return is gone. Um, you may not know this, but I'm not a professional musician. Yeah, I make mistakes every time I'm up there. Personally, I make mistakes. You just think the wrong words. When I make a mistake, there's nothing more encouraging to me than when I look out at the congregation and I see someone clapping their hands or worshiping or bowing to the altar, and I look at it. It's not about me, it's not about our performance, it's not about my musicianship. Yes, we want to do well and excellent unto the Lord. But it's not about me, it's not about perfection. And when I see others worshiping the Lord, I don't know, I, I mess up, I mess up the rhythm, I mess up the chord. God is still at work, and that encourages me. They're still worshiping, they're worshiping God. When I see people worshiping God, that encourages me. And so that's a gift that each one of us plays in this body, is you have the opportunity to worship God wholeheartedly. And I just want to share another story about wholehearted worship. Um, is, again, it's not about performance, it's not about a specific external 
Thank you.